Okay, we are now live with uh, the Uncomfortable Conversations podcast, the un the untold stories of the 3HO Kundalini Yoga community. I am your host, Guru Nishan, and I'd like to begin with sharing the intentions for why I've started this podcast. To break the veil of silence that is long permeated and continues to strangle the 3HO Kundalini Yoga community in the name of neutrality. To validate and help clarify the complex feelings of those who have joined this lifestyle, were born and raised into it, and have practiced or taught Kundalini Yoga. To encourage active listening to uncomfortable conversations from our community as a revolutionary act of self-healing, self and collective healing. To let survivors know that we see them, we believe them, we love them, and we will fight for their truth to be addressed. To let teachers who are denying, gaslighting, or spiritually bypassing know that what they are doing is willfully ignorant and re-traumatizing victims to stop the perpetuation of gaslighting and victim shaming by naming it for what it is, to dismantle internalized shame, guilt, toxic positivity, and light washing mentality, to honor all of the parts of ourselves that have been forgotten or silenced, to encourage people to do their own research process their own emotions, get somatic therapy and other support as needed, draw your own conclusions and be critical thinkers rather than just blindly follow anyone. To honor every body that has come through our community named and unnamed. Please remember that your story matters. Please share it when you're ready. We're here to listen and support you. So today on uh, episode two of our Uncomfortable Conversations podcast, I want to welcome our special guest, Tej Steiner. Um, I want to read, uh, give you a little background on, uh, on Tej Steiner here. Um, he got involved in 3HO in 1970 while living in Toronto, Canada, becoming the Can Canadian director of 3HO and Sikh Dharma. In 1988, he left both organizations when, when he found out about Yogi Bhajan's sexual abuse uh, sexual involvement with his secretarial staff. He went on to study group dynamics for several years, then began to facilitate circles in 1990. He wrote several books on transformational group and circle dynamics, the latest being Waking Up with Everyone Around Us. Currently, he's founder of the Heart Circle Network and teaches the Heart Circle model internationally with organizations and businesses. So I want to welcome Tej Steiner. Hello. Thank you for being with us. Pleasure. So and even though it's, a, it's an uncomfortable conversation, I hope we can be comfortable with it. Well, you know, that is the goal in, in this connection process. Um, tell me why do you feel that it's even important to tell the story of your, uh, your dharmic time. Uh, 
I think the, the first reason is there's so many themes that are woven throughout the 3HO story and the Sikh Dharma story that are historically themes that have showed up in history, as well as these themes are so alive with us now as we're <laughs> seeing the Trump effect of, of the, the craziness of this denial of the election results. And um, I think more than anything else, that we, we get to understand what happens when you've got a very charismatic, powerful leader who's mentally unstable. Um, so this, and, and not only mentally unstable, but a sociopath, really, where they, they pose as people who are interested in the, the, the people that they serve when in fact they get those people to serve them. Mm. That's a, um, it's a theme throughout history and 3HO uh, Yogi Bhajan was, he was a master at that. He was right. master in a lot of things, but he, he mastered this split world of getting people to fall in love with who he represented. When in fact, um, there was the flip side of all of that that had nothing to do with serving us. It, it was to use us for his own, his own, um, his own broken needs, really. You never to, use, to use you all, to yeah, use all of us. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then when it, then when that got into the, the, the sexual part, uh, the, you know, serious abuse, not to mention money and the spiritual um, heartache, betrayal. Mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. So um, today with, with the Trump situation, I, I, I don't think there's a huge difference between Yogi Bhajan and, and Donald Trump. I think you make a good point in, in bringing it to today's, the, in terms of like the themes mm -hmm. and things that like we can pull out in terms of these power dynamics, um, yeah. the importance of like why speaking out loud about it is so important because it's yeah. only through each other's stories yeah. that we experience ourselves outside of ourselves through each other and then can break out of un, unseen patterns, so to speak. Good, I agree, and I'm really grateful you're doing this. And, and not only doing it live, but then being able to create a platform where these stories can be gathered so that the, the many stories create a coherent story that um, will be available for a lot of people to, to learn from and heal from, really. And, and heal, exactly, through the tapestry, <laughs> through the puzzle pieces of each story, we create this tapestry that frees us all collectively. And I, I truly know that. So thank you. Thank you for being a part of this. Um, I want to go right into it. Obviously, you have a dynamic story, 1970 yeah. to 1988. So that's a tremendous, that's 18 years, right? Um, we, I'd love to have you just go right in. I'm going to mute myself and jump in only if I need to, okay? Good. Um, there's a background that I want to address first that to me is important. Um, the first thing is that um, being a, we're baby boomers, uh, the, the people who really began in 3HO first, we were all baby boomers. We were born in the, in the, sometime in the 40s, but we really grew up in the 50s and the early 60s. And inside that kind of repressive, American culture, and I, I just talked to Philip DeSlip, and he brought this out about an hour ago. He was talking about 
we boomers really were product of the 50s and we wanted the freedom, but there was also a lot of things going on in our own psyche that we weren't aware of. So I was aware that in the 60s, um, going into 1970, um, we didn't, the, the culture we were living in didn't match the hunger we had for understanding what life was all about. It, it didn't include um, community living. It didn't include education that talked about, well, 3HO. It, it didn't include how to be healthy in, in, in mind, body, and, and spirit. And it didn't include how to work with, with the mind itself to quiet it instead of just being programmed. And it didn't work with um, being able to go, since religion didn't make any sense, we knew that there wasn't this God out there that's living somewhere. And if you don't find that God, you go somewhere else down below. None of that, it, it was all so strange, but we didn't have a framework for it. And so these Eastern teachers come along and they start talking about non-duality or oneness or I am, I am. And we go, oh yeah, it's, it's consciousness. And you don't have to believe in consciousness. You have to experience it. So Yogi Bhajan brought this powerful yoga that blew us out of our bodies, really, uh, in some way got us into our bodies, but it also took us outside of our emotional bodies. And uh, along with that, he provided a framework where, you know, this, this all makes sense. Um, so a couple of the other aspects, um, we really were looking for a way out of the 60s to create um, a world that was more just and more conscious. So he comes along, let's create a call to nation. We go, great, this is what we've been looking for. And so that was a huge thing. And then um, the other thing is that we were, we were looking for connection. So he provides a yoga that we could connect with everyone in the, in the classes because what what was going on from the 60s into the 70s and then it proceeded as we were being introduced to what is the field, the field of connections. So we get in a yoga class and we all do breath of fire and these hard-ass asanas and God knows what else we did, but it actually created a very unified field. And then the teachers who were inside that field didn't know what the hell to do with it, me being one of them, being a, a yoga teacher. Mm. And then we lived in ashrams where we were actually creating a field of, of living people in one, one larger three houses like we had in Toronto. We were constantly in this field of connection, but we didn't have any idea of how to be inside the field and let the people who were in charge of the ashrams to not be authoritarian because the only model we had was this was this man who who was essentially a sociopath and he used the connected field in such a way where every time we would do our das we would we would bring his name into things and energetically that's very powerful mm. um, he became the center of everything so all that we did created a a hypnotic connection to him and he just empirically sucked it up he was good at it mm. so we as head of ashrams we we kind of um modeled that we didn't know what we were doing um on many many different levels but we were sincere 
I think we were really sincere then. Mm -hmm. I think that that's a, just a, a beautiful framework that you um, offer the listeners today to really understand what it was like as directors of ashrams of like as new yoga students kind of sent to kind of appointed to start an ashram and and you're talking about like the influence of connectivity um, and so if he says do this you then use that influence and say do this and so yeah. connective influence when you're in the leadership of that oftentimes people that aren't at those leadership levels don't really understand the full scope or magnitude or complexity of yeah. like what that what these levels so like the sincerity and yet on top of it came these authoritarian dictator yeah, models yeah yeah so thank you for that i think it's really valuable and important for us to hear yeah and, and two two points with that um a lot of us baby boomers again philip pointed this out um and it's something i was aware of a lot of us had uh abusive fathers and sometimes either either caring or loving mothers, but sometimes absent mothers who didn't know what to do with the abusive father. So we lived in these, and of course I'm not speaking for everybody, but I'm speaking for a lot of people in 3HO. So I had a, I had a friend, my, one of my best friends in Toronto. Um, he saw Yogi Bhajan and the first thing he told this guy's a fraud. What are, what are you doing? And I was thinking, oh, my best friend is so unevolved. <laughs> He can't see the magnificence of this man, you uh, know? And um, so, um, so there was that. Um, the, so the, the, the deep thing of, again, we didn't have a way of, we weren't inoculated. You talk about viruses. We weren't inoculated mm -hmm. to know how to deal with these Eastern teachers who were coming over to the West to bring thousands of years of spiritual and, and body and, and mental technology to us, we, we didn't know how to deal with someone who was bringing all this life-giving information experientially, not as a belief system, but experientially. We were doing all this. We didn't know how to deal with what happens if the teacher's fucking nuts. Can I say fucking nuts? Crazy. Sure. <laughs> just, just He's got a split in him. We didn't <laughs> say what? Anyway, that, that's the framework. So my uh, particular story is um, I was in a Midwestern kind of guy. Um, I was in the University of Kansas. I was in the anti-war movement. I led a, a large march in um, at KU against the war. And I got thrown out of school. And um, I knew from an era, I knew at 13 that I, I wouldn't go to Vietnam. I just wasn't going to kill anybody. So I went to um, Toronto as a draft resistor. And I started a, um, an organization that would help draft resistors and deserters. Um, because in Canada, there was, we could actually go there safely. So um, then in about nine months after I was there, in, in Toronto, um, I had a, this kind of awakening experience that lasted for three days. And a friend told me the struggle's over and somehow I heard it on a particular level. And I went, I started laughing and I was crying. And I went into this place where everything was connected. And I had no frame of reference for it. Like, not, I didn't know if anybody ever had the experience. 
I didn't know what it was. Um, I knew I wasn't crazy, though. I knew, I knew this was real and where I'd been was not real. I had nobody to tell me what it was. Um, and, and that also is part of the scene back in the early 70s, where now somebody says, oh, I just had an awakening experience. You know, oh, that's really nice. We we passed the ketchup. <laughs> you know what? Oh, yeah. Everybody's having awakening experiences. But when you become one with everything, it, it's for the first time and there's nobody to tell you what it was. Um, it can be confusing. Sure. The real confusing part was I did not know how to get back in it once I came down. And this wasn't drug related. Uh, plenty of drugs around, but that wasn't that it wasn't happening. I don't think. Maybe it, no, it wasn't. Um, so then, when I came, I didn't know what to do. Um, how, how do I get back? I was exiled from from what life is all about. So. Um, Yogi Bhajan sent a yoga teacher to Toronto to teach. He happened to show up at my at the uh, center, the, the hall we called it, and he started teaching. And I took one class and talked to him about my experience afterwards. Oh yeah, you got to get your nervous system and your glandular system strong enough so you can hold this charge. And that made complete sense. I was in. Started doing two yoga classes a day. Um, I, I, it all made sense. I, I was in, <laughs> like, I was in. Um, and then this particular yoga teacher went to India with that first batch of Americans. I think most Americans that went to India with Yogi Bhajan. Where he was this 1969? This was 70. It was 1970, that first batch. Yeah, okay. yeah. I, I, it's 70, 71. It was at, at the end of the year. Got it. And so um, he left and I didn't know what to do. So I got some, some fake, uh, a fake ID, went down to, because I was draft resistor and wanted it at the time. So I got a fake ID and went down to the ashram in San Rafael, Banana Ananda. And I stayed there for two months waiting for my teacher to come back. And then Yogi Bhajan comes back and my teacher just happened to stay in India because he got into drugs. <laughs> Drug smuggling. So um, I uh, I was there, and when I met Yogi Bhajan, unrelated, found, unrelated to Three H O, it was just like his own deal. Yeah, well, a uh, literal deal. He started dealing. He started figuring out a way to bring kind of drugs into the state. So he left the whole Yogi Bhajan scene there. And okay, got so, it. So here I am waiting for him to come back. And, and I wasn't impressed with Yogi Bhajan. I had everybody was talking about Yogi Bhajan, Yogi Bhajan. Oh, yeah, yeah, right. But then when I met him, I found myself going up to the third floor where he was in San Rafael, knocking on his door, saw simmering answers. What are you doing up here? You can't come up and just knock on the door. And then I hear his voice. Oh, let him come in. I've been waiting for him. So I go in. And he says, yeah, you're my great son. You're the, 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 the. He did, he, it was classic. I wish we had some video of that. He did my um, numerology and said I would be great. A great son. Well, I was hooked. So then he then said, <clears throat> um, he then said, go back to Toronto and start an ashram. Well, okay. <laughs> like I'd only studied yoga for three months in, in those days. I was 22. And it was like, all right. Like, 
what else is there to do? This makes sense to me. So I went back to Toronto, <clears throat> started um, yoga classes, and it grew very quickly. We bought an ashram, we bought a house to make for the first ashram. Who you? Uh, we started businesses. Hmm? Say we. So who is who is we? Oh, the we is all the people. There were probably about it, it, we ended up with twenty or thirty people pretty quickly. But he just sent you to start doing that, and you were just yeah. doing that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, willy-nilly our first classes were in the nude on top of a it was called Rashto College that did not Canadian last long huh? <laughs> yeah, we, it just, we were we were hippies we didn't, right no but I'm just saying there wasn't anything unusual about it when Yogi Bhajan told you to start an ashram that wasn't happening anymore no no well it was happening with him probably after class but it wasn't happening with us in class we we didn't know now I'm just trying to get the chronology of how things went yeah, no, no, he, he um, probably wouldn't approved, but and that didn't last very long. We we got into it, uh, meaning all of us got into it, and then, um, and then actually he um, found a house in downtown Toronto, beautiful location, beautiful old old turn of the century home, and then Yogi Bhajan put seventy five hundred dollars down as the as the down payment and put it in his name instead of the community's name. And I said, why don't we put it in the community's name? And he says that he wanted to make sure that no one would ever take the house away who lived in the community. And he put it in his name. After I left, within three months after I left, he sold the house, it was in his name, and he made half a million dollars. Didn't go, didn't a cent, didn't go to the community, not a cent. So, um, Wow. But I get ahead of myself. I just jumped 18 years. You did. I know. You jumped 18 <laughs> years. Stay, stay with yeah. us in the 70s. Yeah. yeah there was. Help us, help so, us um, <laughs> yeah. So, and I think that, but I didn't, um, there was just trust. There's just trust. Yeah. It was bigger than mine. Okay. Ask me a question. Yeah. So, okay. So tell me, so you're, you're opening up this ashram. Um, were you a single man at this time when you, when you, when he brought you into, when you went up to there and knocked on the door and said, someone answered and he talked to you, then he says, go start an ashram. Then what, you know, like, so you bought this. Well, it's interesting because I, I was actually um, in partnership with now Guru Tirith's wife. And um, so that was interesting. That so when I went down to um, Banana Nanda, San Rafael, she went, well, she was stayed there for a while too, but we kind of separated and I went back alone. So yeah, I was, I was without a partner. And um, it was, I think a year later that there was an arranged marriage with my, then, I'm not sure time was, soon to be, then to be, in the past was, uh, Gruteshkar, who's still in the Dharma. Got and she, she was very uh, disciplined and shed into the Sikh thing very quickly, whereas I, I wouldn't just have a fun ashram where it was. Our, our, Toronto was, was a lot more heart-centered, I think, than a lot of places. Um, Toronto's a very cosmopolitan uh, city, very alive. Um, there's a spirit there that, that, that was just amazing to mm. be in. So Gurtesh Kar kind of brought the Sikh element in um, for most of us kicking and screaming. She's still doing that. 
for most of the ashram in general, you're saying in the Toronto ashram, like during that time of growth, like she was the um, more like the the Dharmic. Uh, yeah, she was the Dharmic influencer. Or everyone else, <laughs> or like what the community. Yeah, we were we were reforming hippies who really loved the yoga, and um, we had clothes on at that point, but we were not very far a away. A little more clothed. Yeah, a little more clothed. So are you saying that basically like during your whole 18 years that the dharmic aspect or the religious aspect never really resonated with you? It was more that the kundalini yoga. No, no, I did get into it. Um, I, um, Toronto also uh, has a very large uh, population of Indian Sikhs. Mm. So very early on, we we got in, and also Yogi Bhajan's wife, Bibiji, lived there. And uh, Sorry, her family lived there. So Bibiji would come there often. So Yogi Bhajan came to Toronto quite a bit um, because of the Indian Sea community. To, and we had a, a pretty large following with yoga classes and our businesses and such. So he had those interests to protect. Um, and so uh, being exposed to the Sikh influence, um, there were parts of it that, that I really, really enjoyed. Um, mm -hmm. I never got... I think in Punjabi, I just went way beyond me. But other than that, I, um, I really enjoyed it. Um, and, and I think that was a, a night, the balance between yoga and, and the Sikh thing. The Sikh tradition gave this whole thing a lot of legitimacy that I don't think it would have had as just Yogi Bhajan as a, as a, as a yoga teacher. Yeah. A certain, well, uh, and, and that was... Um, Unfortunately, I think for the greater Sikh movement, um, there were so many Indian Sikhs who were concerned about their kids in Toronto or in Canada um, in general, leaving the Sikh traditions behind. And here these, these Western kids are wearing turbans and doing their bodies and going, what did you call it? Why did you give it in? Their kids were leaving. So they really, um, had a lot of uh, interest, I think, and respect for what we were doing. And many of them also were very skeptical of what Yogi Bhajan was doing because they knew that there, was a, there were a lot of things there, particularly in the way that he was treating us and how we would touch his feet and we're treating him as a guru when in fact Sikh Dharma is based on the guru is a city guru grant and not, it's very anti-guru. And Yogi Bhajan would tell us he's not, but during your time, during your 18 years, that never occurred to you? It just kind of like, even though that was in the scripture in the city of Guru Grant, you didn't, it didn't occur to you? Really a good question. Um, this really good question. This was the power of Yogi Bhajan. Mm. He had a way of presenting things where he acted as a guru literally acted as a guru, but he would say with such consistency that he wasn't. I'm only a messenger. The Siddhi Guru Grant is your guru. Um, and, and Guru Ramdas, I think he used Guru Ramdas. I, I don't know what he did. Is it like, um, do you feel like it's a bit of a form of hypnotism? Do you feel like, like when you look back during that 18 years, it was a, a bit of like a hip, hip, hypnotic or... Um, there was that for sure, but but I'm not referring to that in this moment. I'm I'm suggesting that um, he had a way of saying one thing that was contradictory to the reality of what was going on. 
mm. like, like Trump today. Trump is mm. saying, well, he won by a landslide when he lost by the same amount that he completely denying the reality that's totally denying the reality but he's so consistent with it yeah because of the split in his own brain i don't even know if i don't know to what degree he knew when he was telling the truth and when he wasn't telling this is what you're saying in your reflection obviously since he left not anything that occurred so i didn't question um even though i experienced him oh the other thing is we didn't have a history in the West with gurus or teachers. This is brand new, totally brand new. We, I mean, there's ministers in a church, but where's the model in the West for some kind of spiritual teacher mm-hmm. that, that people are supposed to actually surrender their own ego in the name of coming into a higher sense of self that the teacher represents. Mm-hmm. So that tradition is, is honorable, except when the teacher gets you to abandon your own self-integrity right. and give the authority to him to send your kids away to school, to marry this person and not, you know, not that person, right. to tell you what to eat, what to wear, how to go to the bathroom, uh, where to live on and on and on. And so my general looking back, he was able to hold us with such, um, uh, what, I don't know. He was able to, to pull this whole thing off because the yoga that he presented um, was so uh, masculine focused. All the yoga was to get us out of our bodies. It was the drive, it was the keep up. It was the martial arts, the spicy foods. I, I wrote this in a post. The spicy foods, the um, sending the kids away to India to harden you. I mean, you were one of them. I didn't go. To oh, you didn't go. That's right. You didn't go. Right? But I hear yeah. you. Yeah. Your kids went, though. My kids went. But you went away to New Mexico, didn't you? Um, no, I didn't go away anywhere. I just went to, uh, you know, the children's camp and ladies camp for a couple weeks here and there. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, children's camp was an example of. Yeah subjecting the kids to some pretty extreme situations. Yeah, the so there was, mm-hmm. there, there was in 3HO, there was never stillness. There was never presence. Yeah. There was his presence. It was always this forward motion, 18 hours a day of, of activity. And, and again, it was all masculine push without the feminine stillness and, and the, the, um, the, connection to the body and to the emotions so whenever we were we were trained if someone asks you how you are you're supposed to say great even if you're god knows what (laughs) Um, i think what you're saying is just such such an important you know flag in the in the post um because the feminine, you know, was used as a subversive tool, and yeah. yet there was actually no feminine energy in the practice at all. As you're saying, there's no stillness at all, and yet there was yeah. these teachings of like, oh, the feminine, you know, you, the, you know, you need the woman to get to God, and so, you know, and I, as I was a child, I remember thinking, gosh, this is really backwards. He's saying, well, women are ten times greater to yeah. God, and so therefore 
men need help. So women serve men. And I remember thinking, gosh, that's a little back. That's something off there. And he's telling people to not have any sex. That's got to be wrong, you know? And yet then everybody around us was all having so much sex. Everybody was sleeping with everybody's wives. And there was all sorts of affairs going on all the time. So I think that the point you make about what he's saying and what's happening, the incongruency of it, the the what being told something and in plain sight, it's opposite. What I've named that recently is something like we were taught to deny our reality. Yeah. And Infinitely so, yeah. And this is when I was, when I first, when we started here, um, historically, um, I know it's dangerous to bring up Hitler because it, 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 it can get, get in the way, that name can get in the way, but there's little difference in terms of what actually happens where there's this, um, there's this kind of obedience and even love for that's built on some kind of mythology that we're gonna create this, this, this world that makes sense and it's good for us. Um, and inside of that, um, it's broken. And, and again, I, I know I brought up Trump and I'm not bringing Trump up politically. Uh, conservative, liberal has nothing to do with it for me. I'm saying that what Trump has done with his base is not different than what Yogi Bhajan did with us. The mm. gap that, in other words, he's saying that he's working for, or he's there for the people who support him when in fact he's their worst enemy in terms of, of, of disparity between income and, and climate regulations. Um, the, the, the pandemic itself. Um, so, so I don't mean to divert it, but like, I wanna hear that a little bit in terms of like, what does that feel like for you? Like to have been a, um, you know, a director of the ashram, a disciple or devotee for 18 years, married for how many years, um, and then to leave, kind of bring us back to the point where you're leaving and then what it's like to, to realize like, wow, some teacher that I thought was in my best interest wasn't. Like bring us to that point in your own personal story. Um, right, um, in my story, I was all in. And that's typical of a lot of people's stories of, of my peers. We were all in. Um, so that um, it was the businesses that we were creating and, and the ashrams that where we were teaching yoga and going to solstices, we were all in. I, I saw these little signs. Mm -hmm. I saw he was getting a little narcissistic and, and, I, it would, and I saw one time I missed a payment on the ashram in all those years uh, one house payment and he came to Toronto and he found out about it and he yelled at me in front of people uh, there were a lot of Indian Sikhs there and the whole ashram was there he yelled at me in a way that was shattering like I I don't know my, my dad was abusive my dad never matched that mm. in front of everybody and I went what the hell was that it not only shook me up but I didn't know where to place it it was, I saw the crack. And I, I saw him with Hari Harkar, who was part of the secretarial staff that he was having an affair with um, way early. And he, he was acting like a teenager in front of him, 
she was leaving and he was all distressed. And I went, whoa, what? I hadn't seen that. But those were the only cracks until Yogi Bhajan called me up and said that my sister, my brother and sister and my other sister, they were all in the Dharma. Really? Your brother, we your sister, yeah. and your other we were sister? They're all in, yeah. Four of you. Because yeah, I know I know on Guru Tej, your ex-wife's side, she had four. Yeah, we, we had a dynasty. <laughs> Y'all had like, like, I'm blown away when I find out these stories because like yeah. my story isn't nearly as complex. And there's like whole generational aunties and uncles in some of them. Yeah, yeah. Like, we were, anyways, <laughs> keep going. We were, we were one of the bigger families. Listeners have to know the complexity of, yeah, think yeah. about if all four of your siblings joined and yeah. then their kids had kids. Like, think about that. That's and true. then they all go to India. I mean, like, wow. Yeah. Oh, I got a story. Okay. My mom, I was in St. Louis. My mom was, um, uh, my parents didn't know what to make of this. My dad didn't know what to make with me coming to Canada. He was a Marine, so he didn't know his son going to Canada instead of going to war. He, he thought I was a communist, and I thought communists were friggin' crazy. So anyway, there wasn't a real connection there. But my folks didn't know what to do with this. Um, the white clothes. And so my mom was a real estate agent and um, she was in her office in, in St. Louis and a whole bunch of Sikhs from the St. Louis ashram, they're seven or eight come walking down the street and from her office and someone in the office goes, everybody come look at these, these white penguins or whatever she said. So they, they all went to the window to look and my mom didn't say anything. And it was you. It wasn't me, but she didn't say anything about. Meaning it was uh, other, it was other, yeah, Kundalini. My yoga. kids are all, they wear those clothes. It was shame, you know? So anyway, um, I didn't have many signals, but then my sister was leaving. Uh, she was in Chicago. I was in Toronto. Yogi Bhajan called me and said, good day, your sister's freaking out. Go down there. Don't worry about the speed limit. Go down there and get her back in the Dharma, put her mind at ease and get this nonsense taken care of. Do it now. Go. So, of course, hardly packing a bag. Yes, sir. I go down to <laughs> speeding the whole way. I go down there, <laughs> talk to my sister, and she says, um, you know, that he's been having sex with everybody in the Secretariat. I said, no, come on. Yeah. I said, well, how do you know? She says, why don't you call Premka? And I said, well, what do you mean call Premka? I've got her number right here. So I said, well, might as well. So I called Premka, you know, we'd known each other all the years. She had left, I think a year and a half earlier or two years, whatever it was. Okay. And I called her up and I said, Premka, is it true? And she says, yes. Wow. Whoa. That was it. The whole thing. But you're married at this time. Your kids are in India, right? I mean, like, what's the context? What's going on? Like, what next? I still like, what do you feel do? I still feel emotion. Wow. You know, I'm I'm really up. I'm, I'm enjoying the interview. And then this comes along and how do I still feel? How do I still feel that? It's so amazing. Mm. Mm. 
Hmm. The example I used, <clears throat> it, or I've used, and it felt like, go ahead. But on this note, I <clears throat> go into your music and we just kind of like titrate this moment. Okay. Okay, good. So one of the songs. You're yeah, seeing my overwhelm. You're a little self-regulator. Let's, yeah, let's just feel that you're, energy. You're a good, a good therapist. Go there, right? So you're taking care of me. <laughs> so um, <clears throat> this is the uh, the uh, chosen music. Every episode, I ask the, the guests to um, choose a song that represents their story. And, um, and <clears throat> if... Uh, you want to share anything about this? Um, before you do that? Yeah, please. Um, just so we get into the full drama of it. They're not drama. I, I, don't, I don't want to reduce this to being dramatic. It's not. But it felt like Santa Claus coming down the chimney and waving my kids. Mm. Okay, now play yours. Okay. That's what it felt like. Myself for the sultry plains, the old green square back in old Mayball. Rode the wind up to storm away, paused at the peak, pacified my soul. Caught the bus in the ferry port, made it to the mansion on the point. See, I come around to the ancient ways. I took a tip from the Buddha boy. I just Mother Earth and you and me Through Cairo Road down the wildwood side Blinding our eyes in the shallow seas Drank fire with the king of the blues Plugged into the medicine way Took a long last look at crazy horse Bush now for a golden age I just found God Awesome. Thank you. Mm. Thank you so much Thank for you. that share. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that chosen music? Yeah. Um, the line that I just saw God where he, she always was. Um, to me, the, the, it, it's a story of a journey. Mm. 3HO was part of my journey, a really significant part. Um, and I think anybody watching this involved in whatever the, the trauma or the, the growth or whatever happened to anybody who's watching this right now or just viewing, um, every, we all just want to find that, that peace, the happiness that, that's within. It's always here. It's here right now. Here we are. It's awareness. Um, so it, uh, I like that song. Mm, yeah, it was beautiful. Um, for those of you that don't know, that was uh, the Water Boys Glastonbury song. So thank you for those tunes. We'll play that again as we keep going. So yeah, so let's keep going. So you find out this moment, it shatters. You talk to your sister. Your kids are in India at this time. Yeah. Your wife is where? Well, like uh, my son is. My my daughter had, had been in New Mexico and she came to me one before that and said, Papa Jack, it's hell here and so I, we brought her home how long did she go to india and what age she was only in india for uh i think two years a year and a half 
How old was my, she? My shame covers up my chronological and remembering there. Your shame for sending your kids to school. Yeah. yeah. How old were your kids when you sent them? I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> Please? Uh, yeah, no. Um, I, my son, I think, was eight or nine. I was going to say eight. I think Om was yeah, eight. And, and, and uh, Pritam was nine. Okay. <clears throat> yeah. Om went first. Yeah, Om went first. He's older. Yeah, he was three years older. Mm. Pure child abuse. Uh, again, we didn't. What were we thinking? You know? mm. But we were told um, that it was our neuroses that was going to affect these kids mm. and also the culture. So by getting them into the Himalayas, you know, was the deal and where there was this purity of the Eastern mind and the Western mind. And there was some truth in it. Um, and who knows what we did? What the story is being told. Some of the people watching this. Some of them, and a lot of stories aren't yet being told, as we know. Yeah. yeah. As we yeah. know. Um, uh, so your daughter so, said went for one year. Uh, yeah, one and a half or, yeah, I'm, I'm not positive. How long did your son go? How long did Om go? Five years. Five years until he graduated. Yeah. Uh, no, until, until we pulled him out. Because when I, when I left, um, there was no way he was going to stay. Mm. No way at all. Um, now, um, and I thought, see that within maybe, I'm not sure chronologically what happened, but um, I was shaken, obviously, and it, it was over. I, I couldn't any longer be the director of the ashram. Right. But I thought everyone in the ashram would, would say, oh, he slept with Brimka or he did this or he did that. Right. And they would go, oh, what are we going to do now? We all as an ashram, we'd figure out what we're going to do. And then the drug bust happened with Gurjot Singh. That's on the East Coast. Very soon after that. In the Virginia mm -hmm. ashrams. Yeah, Herndon. Virginia. Okay. So the DA comes in and, and he busts, they bust the ashram. And Gurjot was um, obviously involved in some pretty serious drug and arm smuggling. And when that happened so close to my finding out about Yogi Bhajan, I thought it came over to, we're all going to have to look at what do we do now? The, the teacher's not who we thought he was. Mm -hmm. And so I'd start talking to people in the ashram and it was like, uh -uh, he didn't do it. Who, who says Gurjot is not innocent? You know, same thing with Trump's face. And then they, Yogi Bhajan said, the media mm -hmm. denial, like no way he did. Totally, not only denial, but you fallen from grace yourself in suggesting it. And I'll, all I was saying, we got to be able to talk about this. Mm. Now, he slept with all these women or not? The question is, we can't talk about it. You can't say it out loud. You can't say it out loud. You if you do, you anyone. get you not your neighbor, not your friend, not your wife, not to anyone. You can't say anything. Yeah. And that was also part of Yogi Bhajan's um, capacity. He, again, like Trump, he would um, tell all these lies about the people who were leaving, um, particularly the people who had been heads of ashrams. He had to come up with a story. So he'd basically say that we had fallen from grace. And, you know, the cockroach thing. We were, that you're going to turn a lot of lives to go through. Hmm? 
that you're going to turn into a cockroach. Yeah. And so um, I was expecting that we'd have, and I was on calls to council and all that. I thought we'd get to calls to council and we'd be able to talk about all this. So instead of that, Yogi Bhajan sent a Punjabi um, up to Toronto, five men, um, all my peers, um, to try to get me back into seeing the truth of, back the of my ways. from lost from grace. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, "What the heck are you talking about? Why are you coming to see me? I didn't. I didn't have a drug bust. I wasn't." Uh, yeah. So that that was that was a rough time. And um, and then Yogi Bhajan, I went one time to see him again. The last wasn't the last time, but the second last time I saw him. And he knew that I knew. And he took myself and and my now ex-wife, Gurteshkar, aside into a room. We went down to Ohio. And um, and um, he said, uh, he said, you know, he knew I knew. And he said, um, I just want to tell, I, I got to use the accent a little bit, but he's a good ditch. I just want you to know in this organization, everybody loves me so much. They're crazy with how much they love me. And if anybody talks out against me, I don't know what they would do. And so many of them have guns. Whoa. I went home. I, I, I got home after that. I sat down and I said, okay, God, internal self, whatever, you tell me what to do because I'm, this is serious stuff. And so I, internally, this way, I said, okay, pick up a pen. I picked up a pen and then I wrote this thing. Like a cat be still until one pointedness directs the pounce, patience pays. Hold the brush high until the heart moves the hand this is art. Judge not at all until the facts speak first. Act only then. This is all written. So I knew to get still. Wow. So it took me a while. I, I got a, a, there was a room in the ashram and a, a house he sold. And I had the whole thing up there and I was able to then to, and I had a, a really interesting situation. At the same time that I found out, I got introduced to a MD in Toronto who was teaching group dynamics. Mm. And, um, and he was, uh, his, his medical practice was if you have something wrong with you, show up in circle, you just sit in circle all day and find out what's, what's going on on, on many different levels. Oh, so, cool. so I started studying uh, dynamics and, and I had a way of being able to work with all of these, these emotions that were coming up. Mm. Um, the betrayal and my own closeted, um, deep, deep terror, really. Yeah. Um, that had not ever seen the light of day. And that was, again, part of 3HO. 3HO, there was make sure you don't feel anything. That's right just rise above it and there's there's no embodiment there's no self-regulation of the nervous system it would stimulate the nervous system only stimulation only stimulate mm -hmm. I there was there were he rarely spoke of love yeah yeah 
So you're still at the ashram at this time, this little room trying to yeah. feel yourself, but you're still like realizing, wow. Yeah. I and I, I knew not to, I knew not to spread it and spread it, meaning I knew not to disturb the hornet's nest in terms of the whole thing. Now I didn't do it out of fear of, of being shot by one of the people who so love him. It, it, it wasn't, I was afraid for my life. It's that I saw this is a system that's much bigger than I had thought. And it was very similar to, fortunately, I did have the whole experience of, of resisting Vietnam, where the president of the United States, the cabinet, my parents, the community, the draft board, even my friends, they were saying, well, of course you go to Vietnam and shoot people. Of course you do. And I knew that, no, you, you don't. And um, I was willing to leave everything behind and, and go to Canada. I, I wasn't willing to go to jail. I, to me, it, they had me then. They're not going to get me. <laughs> uh, they're not going to take five years. And in my, the draft board where I lived was pretty serious about putting people in prison. So I, I, I wasn't going to happen. Um, but, I, but I had some kind of understanding of when we're involved in something so much bigger and so much more complicated and layered yes it's time to really be still and work out what was i doing that i sent my kids to india and that i gave my allegiance to a man without questioning what where is my shadow where is my crack mm. so i was able to use the experience um and and explore my own shadow while at the same time missing the, the beauty of community and I had, I had devoted all those years. There was no longer the, the sea. I had a lot of Indian Sikh friends. And uh, the businesses, there was no money. There, there was no gold cara. <laughs> you know, you don't leave with a gold, gold cara. cara at the end of the building. <laughs> no, they, they left that one out. It was like build the ashram no with me and leave it behind, right? And yet yeah, and we, you know, we were living month to month anyway, and there was nothing. So it was leaving everything for me. It was leaving everything behind for a second time. Mm, right, and exactly. This is getting at least I had I had a kind of familiarity here. Yeah, there was a ring of familiarity. Oh, I know this <laughs> this drill. <laughs> so, so yeah. I started doing groups, and then I was able to use. Um, in, in the circle work that it, I developed a model called Heart Circle. Mm. It was a way people can get together and um, make agreements that we're getting together as this ongoing circle and we're going to be, we're going to practice being clear about our purpose in life. We want to be able to be present in our, quiet our minds. We want to be authentic and emotionally um, honest. We want to get out of the myth of separation and we want to come into kindness and caring. And, and we want to explore what is it we truly want to manifest from moment to moment. So was able to use the circle as a way to demonstrate that the circle could become the teacher. So I was fortunate in being able to kind of springboard off something, not into a empty swimming pool, but into a, a, a larger body of water. Mm that obviously supported this transition into like, yeah. assuming you had to go through a shedding of full identity process and grieving and all oh, sorts yeah. of things. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> and telling your son and your daughter, like give us a little, uh, as we're kind of like wrapping up this kind of encapsulated story of 
this time. Tell us what it was like to tell your children, and then and then how, what did they choose on the path? You know, they were way ahead of me. They were saying they basically <laughs> said it's about time you caught up, Papa G. Yeah. <laughs> it took you so long. <laughs> so they were like, duh, duh, right? And basically, my son said, you know, everybody in India, they they knew that this thing was a sham. Mm. Not all of them, but they said we knew that there was a big gap between what he said he was and who he was. And mm. my daughter saw through it. So, um, yeah, I just think that's <clears throat> that sentiment is very um, resonant, you know, for a lot of us who grew up in the Dharma, just kind of like it was obvious to me when I was a young, younger than a teenager, it was pretty mm -hmm. evident that. He was sleeping around and other people in the ashrams were sleeping around. There was just so much going on, you know, and um, mm -hmm. so. You know, Gurnisha, we, we did not, I say we, I, but I think speaking for a, a lot of people at the time you left. Um, by the way, I wrote a letter to everybody in the Dharma um, saying, um, right after he threatened me, I, saying, look, we've got to be, if, if we're really... Sikhs, we have to be able to question the teacher. And if we're not, we're not Sikhs. And if Satnam is our truth, we have to be able to bring this to the Khalsa Council. And we have to have all the ashrams say, is it true that Yogi Bhajan is being sexual with all these people? And um, is Guru Jyot part of something that Yogi Bhajan knew about in terms of the drugs and the weapons? And um, and, but we didn't know. We didn't know the depth. I don't think Pamela Dyson, I, Prabhupada, I don't think she knew, even though she was involved at the level that she was involved in with him. We did not know until these reports came out. Uh, Kate, we had a glimpse of it with Kate, but the masochistic, deeply, deeply hatred of women um, thing that he he was into. Did you read Kate's um, file eighty yeah. in the eighties when you were still in? You did. I did, but even then I couldn't let that in. I, it was so being held down and raped by his sister or by her sister. Like I couldn't I couldn't go there. Mm -hmm. I just I couldn't go there. Yeah. I mean, it's it's like facing climate change today. Do we actually know? what's going on right now in climate change that's a big jump but i'm saying the denial it's so big so on the point of writing this letter so you're saying when you left you finally left you write this letter and you write it to all the directors of other ashrams right and my so dad that we posted to everybody in the in the dharma yeah so and my dad was the director of the phoenix ashram so <clears throat> i remember asking um you know his wife my stepmom whether she remembers seeing that and and anyway it's did 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 they receive it? Do you think they received it and just were cut off from receiving your message because of the message because Yogi Bhajan had already kind of infiltrated who you were to them? Some saw it because all I got was hate mail. Got it. You got a lot of hate mail at that time from other directors of the ashram, kind of like what we're seeing in the denier category now. That yeah. kind of like mentality, yeah. right? And some uh, along with it, uh, there was some rage. Like, how dare you? you had this high office and you betrayed your office and you're mm. slandering our teacher. Mm. And, um, yeah, all that kind of stuff. I wanna again, put a little flag in this note here. I think it's really important to note that, you know, 
for listeners when you're listening, a lot of the vitriol that we hear and witness from the quote deniers group that kind of created that whole other website kind of denying the whole AOB report and, and really actually inflicting um, uh, uh, language of harm and, and the, uh-huh. the language that you're speaking of slander and how dare you, like we're seeing that in 2020 now. And I remember when I started hearing that it was such a body memory of like, wow, I remember that in the yeah, 80s. Like yeah. I remember that as a child at like eight where this was happy, happening in the permeating atmosphere. People were leaving and other people were deflecting and denying. And that energy is, is an energetic frequency we absorb as children in consciousness, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's in the atmosphere and that became the ethos. And then the veneer ethos was this wear white, all of like this external teaching, so to speak, but really this denying of the reality was happening all the time. Yeah. As we're talking, I'm aware because we're, we're the two different generations um, and you're the generation of, of my kids. Right. The conversation between us, this is kind of a one-way conversation. Um, you're, you're speaking, but you're not, anyway, Hopefully, um, interviews can include the two the two talking together, and you know, like what was what was your take on this? What was your take on why I was in India? You were sending us there. What the? How do you? Um, I think that's a beautiful vision. I think that's a beautiful vision because um, that's the kind of. open level of dialogue I think that we that we're we want to foster within the culture that we come from that we actually don't have any practice in yes as we only have practice in what my dharmic brother Akulsa High says light washing making every story into positive stories making every story into the light wash of it and while that's beautiful to glean positive experiences to actually share just what was happening and then our vulnerable experience of it opens up a chance for us to be like, remember this time when, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, and yeah. right now where I'm using this podcast, just to be very clear to listeners, this podcast right now is a chance to really capture stories of certain people that have shared their story privately and I want to make sure that these stories have an accessible forum. So it is why I'm focusing it as what what Tej brought up as a one-way conversation. But the goal is to morph into more and more conversations, you know? (laughs) Because I'm aware even now, just just connecting with you, like um, speaking of the connection in the field, like the, the generation, now we've got three generations or four, three generations anyway, but there's so much, there's so much, so many layers of, of all of this. And as these layers communicate with one another, not just the stories, as, as we're doing right now, you're bringing out, there's far more than story going on here. It's like, how do we make sense of this? And it's a living story. It is. It's unfolding now as we speak. I wrote that letter in 1988. <laughs> Now, then Premika writes her book, uh, or Pamela writes her book, and we've still got the same people wanting to have the Punch Fiore come visit them and get them back in 
Like what? Have we not evolved? Exactly. Exactly. That's blown my mind too, because you just think, no, that can't be. And anyway, the parallel to our current political situation, I think is really um, helpful for listeners to really know when you think of, when you, you know, put a lens into 3HO Kundalini Yoga, like how is it possible that people didn't, you know, stayed? How is it possible they sent their kids? How is this possible? And it's, it's possible because there weren't the type of communication networks a available that we have today of the internet. But number two is possible because of these patterns that we're noticing and we only can see and experience the patterns by hearing each other's stories. And you say, oh Oh. my gosh, because you never actually heard the real tale. Yeah, never. Now, again, there's these themes with that, um, I'm immediately, um, kind of brought back to Vietnam, mm. where we say, how could these parents like myself, how could I and my then wife have sent our young kids to India? Like, what were we thinking? At the same time, how can parents send their 18-year-old kids to a war just because some politicians and some generals said, well, go over there and, and go kill some people? And so we offer them up in the same way. We offer our kids up because there's this myth. Yeah. I mean, and then this, I think it's just, it's, I think I really want to stay on the point of in our community because it's hard for listeners. (laughs) 18 and eight is a big distinction. Huge difference. Yeah. I'm, I'm actually thinking more in terms of the, the adults, the parents, it's not a big jump to say, well, we as parents sent our kids away. And, um, but there's also a big jump. We sent our kids away to die in a war. I mean, there's an age gap and eight and 18 are different, but also we, we didn't think we were sending our kids to die. But when you send these people off to, to war, we're saying, okay, we're willing to sacrifice our kids because we believe in this whatever the myth happened to be, that the, the then Secretary of Defense says in 1992, McNamara. So, oh, I'm going to try to keep us off the politics analogy. Good. Okay, I'm going to reel you back in here um, and <laughs> and just say, uh, that leads me again to another uh, lovely language that I love that Akal Sahai brought in um, called mystical manipulation. And I just want to put a pin on that in that the story that Yogi Bhajan weaved that, you know, your generation, my parents' generation, obviously, and then what morphed, um, you know, really tells like a, a, a story or a tale that is really like high demand group or cult 101, where you just, you stop thinking for yourself and you give up this authority. And so all these aspects of self and so the analogy that I hear you making on the political realm is that on an ethos, there's a cultural ethos where people can get so bought into a belief system where we sacrifice and give up things that are precious in the name of that ethos. And I think that I'm was I'm, I wasn't actually even talking politically. Um, I'm just talking about this act of sacrificing. Mm-hmm. How could we have done that? Well, people have been doing that. It's a similar kind of thing, just what you're saying. So I, I could be real back in. Well, you know, in wrapping up, we're at our time and I just want a little bit over even. So I just want to say, is there 
anything left that you feel like you want to share or um, what you want to leave listeners with in terms of um, uh, our wrapping up our episode today? Yeah. Um, for, for those people, for, for you listening, um, th there's a, the one thing I do understand, I understand spiritual betrayal and the, the difficulty in digesting that and making some kind of sense out of it. And that's why I'm really glad you're doing this, these podcasts, but that one goes deep. And um, spiritual betrayal is, uh, can be part of the spiritual path. And it, it, it's, it's a rough ashram to visit spiritual betrayal. Um, and I just want to say, I get it. I, I have been working with that. And even I, I had the emotion that I had even when I was talking about it. it um, it's, it's a lifelong process. And um, I'm just saying, I get it. I'm with you. Now, in the work that you teach, do you want to offer um, how people can get in touch with you if they need any support? In, in sure, it's, it's heartcircle.com. Um, the, the book that I wrote, that my most recent book, Waking Up With Everyone Around Us, Yes. Um, there's so much that came as what not to do in 3HO. And it was kind of like, okay, this is my answer to 3HO. Mm. And it's about how can we uh, find that inner guidance that we all have, particularly in how can we create intentional resonance within social groups or partnerships, marriages, whatever, where the, the union of those people, that becomes the teacher. Beautiful. Beautiful. I want to um, kind of um, circle around on that note in that you had mentioned that um, Kundalini Yoga was such a powerful aspect of kind of what brought you into the into the teachings, um, but that what he was actually doing was disconnecting us from our emotional body and, and not, it wasn't a complete practice and that he was just teaching us to escape our bodies using that and not actually be in our emotional body or have the feminine principle. Do you want to kind of speak? Yeah, I, I want to add something to that, particularly because I'm talking with you and you understand this. Um, it's that, that there's no way in all of this, all the people that were involved, there was a tremendous amount of trauma with all the people that were attracted. I mean, it's a traumatized world and, and culture that we live in. Sure. But in general, I think there was a lot of deep traumatic wounds in childhood. And the 3HO organization not only didn't allow for that trauma to surface in a safe way, it was used as a, as a way of, um, uh, it was using and abusing people. In other words, our trauma was used by Yogi Bhajan Against to them. control us. Control. which is a re-traumatization on one hand. And on the other hand, it's actually a way that we can take a deeper look at this, this trauma field so that we can deal with it and move on. Um, so, and I know the work that you're doing where, where we have to find ways to regulate the nervous system, um, particularly with the time that we're, we're going into now, because my town, half of the town got burned down two months ago, my whole town, 2,400 houses. Um, 
and we had to escape the fire. <laughs> like it was licking at our heels and we had Talk a, about a lot of trauma and um, being able to deal with, with massive kinds of trauma. Um, this is all, we're going to have to find the eye of the storm. And I think you're doing these podcasts and are making sense out of the 3HO experience um, is important in um, how we're proceeding from here. And I really appreciate you doing this. I'm really grateful that you're sharing your story with us and thank you. Um, I think that it's just really important. One of the things that is moving me so much to do this podcast is that there are there is the 3HO machine or the KRI machine or the Sikh Dharma machine, whatever you wanna call it, the SSSC machine that I feel like is just creating another web to kind of get yoga students kind of just in and they're using language like trauma and shadow work, but Kundalini yeah, yoga, yeah. as Yogi Bhajan yeah. taught, it doesn't help do that. It actually is disconnecting, not connecting. Yeah. There may be elements and hopefully listeners, this may help, but you know, what makes a great cult leader is they take fragments of, of real truths, slices of real truth, and then coagulate it into a new whole. And so, yeah, there can be elements and fragments of nervous system and glandular system and Sikhism and numerology and astrology and all these things can be actually real truths, but he gave us this tiny little bit and then he used our own traumas against us within this new coagulation. And so it's important to not just get wrapped up um, in thinking that Kundalini Yoga is the end all be all because it's not the way that, that he delivered this material isn't connecting us to our heart as you're speaking of and our emotional body and it's not helping us actually metabolize and process our trauma in the body. Yeah, agreed. Well, thank you so much. It means so much to me to connect with you in this way, you know, having grown up in this. Thank you. Yeah. And I, I, I liked your dad. Yeah, my dad. And your brothers both. Yeah. Yeah, I have so, amazing dad, amazing brothers. Yeah. You know, my dad has his his own troubles as a director and, and uh, as yeah. a traumat, tra trauma holder, all the things. But, you know, I, I have such, I find this community so special because like, I know you, but I actually know your son. So I know mm -hmm. your mom the most. And he was a few years older than me because he was more in my brother's age group. And then I know Guru Tejkar quite well because I lived there when I lived in LA mm -hmm. in 2009 and 10 when I was doing teacher training with Krishnakar. And that's a whole episode in and of itself when I was living in LA with both of those two on opposite sides of the lawsuit. I mean, it was like such yeah. a thing. So um, I really appreciate you sharing your lens today and, and giving us the perspective that even back in, in the 88, this was exposed. Mm -hmm. and the denial was very thick as we're still seeing it today. It, yeah. It's really helpful. Thank you. I appreciate it. And just a hi and a hello and a blessings to everybody listening. Awesome. Well, let's end on uh, a little grooves and uh, thank you all for tuning in and uh, let's go ahead and end out on, I don't think that works, end out on the water boys. And here we go.
Conversations podcast, uh, the untold stories of 3HO Kundalini Yoga community. Thank you again, Tej Seiner, for tuning in with us. 